You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Let's turn to uh, God's Word, and we're going to turn to the book of Isaiah and chapter 44. And it's one of these um, remarkable God incidences rather than coincidences. Uh, I'm preaching through Isaiah, and we've come to this passage, and uh, I, had, I knew Hamish was going to be baptized, and I thought, okay, um, let's just have a look. Maybe I'll choose another passage if it's not appropriate or not appropriate. I was hearing yesterday of a minister who was preaching through a series, and there was a baptism, and uh, he came to that part in his series where it was uh, the death of Jephthah's daughter, and uh, he carried on preaching um, as though it was no problem. But So I just thought, I'll check. And I went and had a look at Isaiah 44, 1 to 5, and it's just wonderful and so appropriate for uh, baptism, and especially so appropriate for what we call covenant baptism, infant baptism. Now, I know as always that there are people here who think that's wrong. Uh, You're along with Spurgeon and people like that, and that's fine. Uh, You're Christian brothers and sisters, and we love you, and uh, uh, you just have to be patient with those of us who maybe see things uh, a wee bit differently, and maybe as you listen this morning, you'll understand uh, a bit of why we do. Uh, I think also... I got up this morning and I read through McShane's calendar and I was a wee bit behind and when I, I, I opened my um, Bible at the passage I was due to read, it was Isaiah 44. So I thought, okay, this is uh, hammering home to me uh, just how wonderful this is. Now, th- this story, this song, if you like, so far from Isaiah chapter 40 onwards, in fact, particularly chapter 43, There's an unfortunate chapter division here because uh, God has been coming and giving to his people who are in dire straits. He's given them five words of encouragement, and this is the sixth. Uh, He's, fear not, you are my witnesses, I am the Lord your God, see I'm doing a new thing, I even I am he who blots out your transgressions. And then this one, uh, and now I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. But now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says, he who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. It's a wonderful, wonderful picture and image here that indicates the absolute radicalness of becoming a Christian. It's interesting. The uh, Church of England released statistics that says in the past couple of years, they've lost uh, 1.7 million members, and there's a lot of lamenting and so on. Well, has the church really lost 1.7 million members? Does the church lose members? I think on paper, yes. But many of these are people who if you ask them to fill out a census form or they may never have gone to church, never read the Bible, didn't really believe or trust in Jesus and yet were members in the church. Being a Christian is so much more radical than that. And this passage, I think, illustrates and uh, keeps that for us. First of all, 
God comes to his people, and in the chapter before, he's been uh, critiquing his people for the way that they behaved and for their sin. But he reaffirms their title of servant and God's chosen. The title really goes together. It's a covenant title. You are chosen to serve God. We are set free to serve the living God. And look at the expression he used. He says, this is what the Lord says, he who made you, who formed you in the womb. This is the new birth. Think about your physical life. Did you decide at some point, I think it's time for me to be born? I'd quite like to be born. I'd like to undergo this experience. Um, you, you didn't decide that. You were formed. And uh, when we baptize Hamish later, he's, you know, he's a small child. And he's not the smallest child in this congregation. Uh, Robbie's up the back there holding the wee one. That's great. That, that baby was formed. I mean, when you see that, you know, as a, an experience that no man will ever have, uh, as a mother, you think, well, this child, this child came from me. And it really is quite an astonishing and astounding thing. And when you watch, and you, because of scans and so on, we can, how a baby is formed, it is, it is just an incredible thing. And it is true that every child, and therefore every adult, is a miracle and a wonder of grace. I mean, the children running around in the church and all this time, you know, you look at them and uh, you just have to think. I mean, I, I do know adults who get to a stage where they go, oh, I just wish there was no children. Uh, they're usually teachers, but um, <laughs> you don't... <sighs> Not really, not really. As a, as, a, as a human being, you've got to look and you say, wow, uh, the, the kids are just uh, absolutely incredible, absolutely amazing. Well, here God is saying to his people, I formed you in the womb. And he's talking about the spiritual birth. Becoming a Christian isn't something you say, oh, you know, I think I'll quite try Christianity. I've, I've, I've tried this, I've tried that. I'll maybe give Christianity a wee go. And uh, I think I'll join up for that one. I'll join this church, or I'll say these words, or I'll perform these rituals. Becoming a Christian is as radical as being born. It's an incredible thing that happens. And God says to his people, he's saying to Israel, before you were born, I knew you. I knew you. I formed you in the womb. That's an astonishing thing for those of us who are believers. You probably, some of you at least, will remember the time where you said, I am going to follow Jesus. But before you came to that time, God was working in your life. By the way, that's not just an extraordinary thing for believers. It's also an extraordinary thing for those of you who are here, and you're hearing God's word, and you know that you're not quite there, but there's something going on. You're thinking, why am I interested in this? What's going on here? What's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. God's spirit is at work in your life. God is calling you to him. And that is just an incredible, scary, but wonderful thing. And that's why he says here, don't be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. What would we be afraid of? What would you and I be afraid of? 
I'll tell you what I would be afraid of. I'd be afraid that God would reject me. I'd be afraid that as I've turned away from God in the past, he would turn away from me now. I would be afraid that if I bring children into this world and I bring them to be baptized and I promise to bring them up in the love and fear and admonition of the Lord, that I wouldn't do it. And then the God's blessing would be withdrawn from my children. I'd be afraid of all of those things. Except God says, don't be afraid because this is not a deal between you and me. I formed you. The birth means an ongoing relationship. Not just a past event. Can the mother forget the child she has born? Yes, there are some incredibly cruel parents. But they are aberrations. It's unnatural. It is wrong. And no matter what happens, no matter how cruel, no matter how bad, no matter how off your children may go, they're still your children. And God says, I formed you. Do not be afraid. Jacob, my servant. Luke 12, 32, Jesus says, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And in this passage, he uses the word jeshurun. Now, jeshurun means the upright one. Deuteronomy 33, 5, he was king over jeshurun, just really another name for Israel, when the leaders of the people assembled along with the tribes of Israel. Jeshurun also went wrong, Deuteronomy 32, 15, jeshurun grew fat and kicked. Filled with food, he became heavy and sleek. He abandoned the God who made him and rejected the rock, his savior. See, what what I love about this is that there's hope for me as a believer that God formed me. That my faith is not ultimately dependent on me, but it's upon God. And you know, that's such a relief. There's hope for you as a non-believer that God is working in your life right now. Otherwise, why would you be here? Why don't you just be away with all the other non-believers? And there's hope for you as a believer who's turned away from God. And you know within your own heart, you know that you are as cold as ice. You know that you are what in Christian jargon is called backslidden. You are backslidden. You know that you're a hypocrite. You know that you're lying. You know that you're faking it. And yet you also know that you did really believe in Jesus. And really deep down you still do. But you are afraid that you've blown it. And that he won't accept you back. And you'd rather just not look at that whole question. And God says, don't be afraid. Let's go on to the next verse. Verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. Now, this is the wonderful thing. It's the, it's the promise of the covenant. Supposing all that God offered to us was, I'll blot out your transgressions. I'll take away. Uh, earlier in, that, uh, in this section, back in chapter 43 and verse 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Do you know, God gives me that, I'm, I'm happy, I'm, I'm absolutely flowing, that's wonderful. Forgetting my sins, that is just fantastic, forgiving my sins. But the gospel does more than that. The water poured on the thirsty land causes it to bring new life. Now I've just been in uh, 
Ireland or Northern Ireland, and it is the Green Island, and it's the Green Island for a very good reason, because it just never stops raining. Um, they've had a lot of rain uh, recently, but it, it's incredible to go uh, and see, and, and the British Isles are like this, I think. Those of us who've grown up in the British Isles, we don't appreciate it, but go to a country where there is really thirsty ground, where there isn't much water. We think, oh, it's bliss. We can get to go, you know, constant sunshine and hot baking sun. Not if you want to grow something. It's nice to have the sun. You need it. But you also need the rain. And that thirsty ground is such a wonderful picture of what the human spirit is like. And what is being promised here is God promises to pour out his spirit on our children so that they will get new blessing and new life. And that is a promise of the covenant, the, the agreement between God and his people, which is a, a theme throughout the whole of scriptures. That is a promise that the idea of the spirit is repeated over and over again. Jeremiah 31, for example. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts, I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will remember their wickedness. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Ezekiel 35, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your, all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And that was wonderfully fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. When Peter stood up, Acts 2, 14... Peter stood with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. It's just a wonderful, wonderful promise that is given in the Old Testament. To some degree, you see it partially fulfilled and enacted, but it's in the new that it comes. And it, the day of Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out. The whole purpose of Jesus coming and dying to forgive us for our sins, but is also to pour out His Spirit upon the church so that we would be reborn, so that we would have this this new life. Everyone, says Peter, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent and be baptized, he said, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. I want to say a word here to the parents. Whatever your views on baptism, I want to say this. This is very, very important for you to understand. 
It is not right to bring your children up in fear of the world or in fear that they might not become Christians or in fear of what could happen. You need to bring your children up in the faith of the Lord. The fear of the Lord in what, in that sense, the respect and majesty and all. I know that there are many things in this world to be afraid of. I'm scared. You know, what about, what if my child does this? What if that happens? What if that happens? Your children are fragile and they are being brought up in a fragile and fractured world. You can't protect them. You can't. You cannot guarantee their lives. You cannot guarantee their health. You cannot guarantee their salvation. You can help, but you cannot guarantee really anything for them. That's why you give them to God. That's why you believe what God says. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Just one other thing about this um, spiritual outpouring. It, it really is worthwhile if we, hopefully if we get a bit of a summer and the ground outside gets really dry, it's worthwhile you going out and just having a wee look at a park or a garden and just seeing how the ground begins to crack up, how it goes really dry, how the plants begin to wither, that you do actually have to go out and use a watering can. But isn't it extraordinary if you, if you do that? You see the ground, a plant is really, really dry, and then you go out and you pour water on it. Overnight, you leave it. The next day, almost, there's new life. It's stronger. It's fresher. It's greener. I think that's what I need and you need and all of us need as believers. Because guess what? We get dry. We get weary. We get tired, we get fed up, we get cracked in lots of ways. You know, we, we become narky, we, we moan and groan and remember the good old days and we become full of fears and we've lost the joy. What do we need? We, we don't need perked up, we don't need, well, I'm just going to make a more determined effort. We're dry, we need water and the water that we need is the Holy Spirit. And what does Jesus say? He says, if, if you, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And when I say give the Holy Spirit, by the way, it's not all that rubbish about give me the Holy Spirit so I can you know, perform this miracle and do that. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit being given so that we can be fresh in our spirits, so that we can know God. So when someone comes to us and says, oh, I'm going to give you all these proofs and things against God and this is why you shouldn't believe and the devil comes and says you're accused and so on, you just laugh and you go, oh, no, you're kidding. You, you seriously are kidding me. Of course I know God. Because it's part of your living, ongoing experience. I really don't know a more important prayer for a believer than to ask that the Lord would fill us with his spirit. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Verses 4 and 5. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand the Lord's and will take the name Israel. Psalm 1, Psalm 137. Again, this image of the stream bringing life. 
You see this if you fly in a plane and you, you look out over the plane and you'll notice that where the rivers go, there the trees go. It's fantastic. He leads me beside the still waters. And again, what this, what God is promising is he's going to bring life to his people. His people who at this stage were in exile. His people who'd been cast out of their temple. His people who were tiny and utterly overwhelmed. And God says, don't worry, you're in the wilderness. But I will pour out my spirit on the dry and thirsty ground. And again, you see that in in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit comes from the Spirit uh, being outpoured upon us. I do think one of the greatest tricks that the devil has done in the 20th century and the 21st century is to get Christians to argue about the Holy Spirit in such a way that there are some people who say, well, I'm spiritual because I speak in tongues and I believe in the gifts and so on and I have a really hyped up worship. And on the other hand, you get other people go, well, we don't want anything to do with that, so we're of the word. And you think, how, how did we get this so wrong? David Watson, who was a charismatic Anglican, summed it up really well. He said, if you have the spirit without the word, you blow up. And if you have the word without the spirit, you dry up. But if you have the word and the spirit together, you grow up. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about God feeding us through his word, the word that's inspired by the spirit, the spirit filling us. The Spirit renewing us. The Spirit encouraging us. I love just that that whole picture. Now, verse 5, some will say I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. That could be uh, the idea of the Israelites returning to God, that they turned away and they were coming back. I think that's true. But I think the second meaning is also true and just as true where it's talking about the Gentiles coming, people coming from out with the covenant community of Israel, coming to know the Lord. They will say, I belong to the Lord. What does that mean, I belong to the Lord? Um, I'm Jesus, I belong to Jesus. I'll tell you what it means, it means I belong to his people. We don't think in terms of people very much, but that's what it means, I belong to his people. These are my people. I met uh, um, an African-American soul singer uh, one time. And he, was te- he told me this story. He was speaking at a conference in Dundee. And he told me that he was looking for people who would sing spiritual music like um, real, what he called real black gospel music from Alabama, which is where he was from. And he's a professor of uh, musicology. In Yale, actually. Anyway, he said, he was asking around, do you know of anyone who does a cappella singing? So somebody said to him, you need to go to the island of Lewis. And he said, where? Of course, you're from Alabama. If you're from Scotland, you wonder sometimes. uh, You need to go to the island of Lewis. So he thought, I'll go to the island of Lewis. So he went to back in Lewis, back free church. Um, A friend of mine, Ian D. Campbell, and uh, there are other people there. Uh, there's a wonderful Gaelic presenter there. And he told us, and it, he said this in public actually, and people laughed, but he really did mean it. He said, when I heard these people in back free church singing Gaelic psalms, I said, these are my people. <laughs> and, and everyone burst out laughing. And, but he was, I, that's exactly 
what's being said. I belong to the Lord, you're saying. I belong to the people of God. When we baptize Hamish, you know what we're saying? We're saying he belongs to the Lord. He belongs to the people of God. He's part of God's covenant. I know that we have a responsibility to come and believe for ourselves. I know that. But are you really prepared to say, out of a false idea of what's termed to be equality, that, well, the fact that my children are born into a Christian home doesn't really make any difference? It makes a phenomenal difference. There cannot be a better thing for a child than that. That's why we long for much more. Notice also what he's saying here, that God's people will be so blessed that total outsiders will join them. In Isaiah's day, that didn't look likely. Who's going to identify with those Christians? It's like if uh, I remember at school one time, uh, there was somebody, before I became a Christian, there was someone who was a Christian and there were people standing and laughing and going, ah, the Holy Joe, and mocking them. None of us, even those of us who were sympathetic, dared stand up and say, well, we're with them. We're with them. We, We believe what they believe. But there'll come a time, he says, when... Total outsiders will join them. The name of Jacob will no longer be a shameful one. The name Christian will no longer be a despised one. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge. It'll write in the register of the people, this one was born in Zion. And then this interesting thing, they will write on their hand. I didn't mean to do this, but I've uh, left my phone. I I do feel kind of handless without my iPhone. But so uh, I've reverted to the old habit of writing on my hand uh, certain things that I would remember. And that's just reminded me there's a couple of things I need to say to you later. But uh, I will write on your hands. Some people think that this means a tattoo. And Ruth and Colin, I I was going to try and say to you, you should get Hamish tattooed. But that's probably not what it means. It's It's certainly not what it means. Because the law, God's law, had said no tattoos. So I don't think that this is Isaiah saying, well, you should go out and get uh, um, tattooed. You know, I become a Christian. You tattoo. Uh, I am a Christian. So what's he saying? It's more like an adoption paper because the hand was considered as the kind of organ of action. You did things with your hand. And it's tied in with Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And it is like writing on your hand. It's saying, I belong to the Lord. That's whose I am. I will take the name. They will take the name Israel. Now, when someone's getting baptized, it's, I like looking, you know, if, if their name's John or Ruth or something, their name's in the Bible, so I look for verses that are specifically to do with them. And I thought, where am I going to find Hamish in the Bible? And I asked our uh, fellowship group on Wednesday, where will I get Hamish in the Bible? And they said, no, ex- uh, you wouldn't, except for Anna Bradshaw, and I'll commend her for this, because uh, she knew that Hamish is in the Bible. Hamish is in the Bible? How is Hamish in the Bible? Where will you find Hamish in the Bible? Right in the verses in front of you. Why? Because Hamish is the Scots version of the Gallic word Seamus. Seamus is the Gallic version of the word James. James is the Greek version 
of Jacob. Hamish is Jacob. Now, it took me a while to work that out because I was looking for what Hamish actually meant and it said struggler or deceiver. And I'm sure that's not why you named him uh, because of that. Struggler or deceiver. And he grasped the heel. I thought, wait a minute, that's Jacob. That's what, that's what Jacob means. Jacob means struggler, deceiver. And so then I followed the thing through and I realized Hamish is just Jacob. So I thought, this is brilliant. I'm, I'm preaching about Hamish from uh, the many verses in the Bible that actually do uh, mention his name. And isn't it beautiful though? Because although Jacob originally did mean deceiver, and who is going to call your child? I mean, how cruel as a parent do you have to be to say, here's my son, the deceiver? You know, uh, that's, that's, that's rough. I mean, there's some rough names that people are called, but uh, that, that's really, really bad. And yet, Jacob becomes such an honorable name. Why does it become such an honorable name? Because God chose Jacob, and God took Jacob, and God placed his name. They will call themselves by the name of Jacob, the people on whom God pours out his spirit. I'm not ashamed to own my Lord. Let me summarize this. God has not forgotten his covenant. A great name, many descendants, blessing overflowing to all the families of the earth. That's what's said in these verses. Where did you hear that before? It was given to Abraham. And yet Abraham's people at this time, God's people at this time, could not have expected many hundreds of years later, look, this is not being fulfilled. This is not working out. This is not happening. And God keeps coming back and keeps saying, this is what I promise. Blessing to all the earth. You're kidding. All we want is survival. And don't you sometimes feel like that as a Christian? Blessing to all the earth? Oh, no. Just, just let me, can I just survive? Can I just get through the day? Can I just cope? But God has not forgotten his promises, and God will remain faithful. And I have absolute confidence as regards Hamish and as regards every child in this fellowship and as regards all the Lord's people here. God will never, ever let you down. You, you do not have to earn stuff with God. There will be many twists and turns. There will be many times when you cry out, has God forgotten his covenant? And the resounding answer will always be, no, he hasn't. God does not forget his covenant. When you're on the Lord's side, more than tattooed, you are marked, given his sign for Life and for eternity. Hamish will be given the sign. We pray that as he grows, he will receive the thing that is signified. The Holy Spirit poured upon him. That could be when he was a very little baby. Because John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit in the womb. And it could be when he's a very old man. We just pray that that will be the case for all of us. Those of you who are not yet Christians, do you know... You should commit your life to the God who gives his spirit and who calls you into his covenant. Why stay away from it? And maybe one more thing just to say to encourage us in our current circumstances in this nation, in the church. New life, fellowship with the Lord and his people, that's what's promised. Calvin says, here we easily see what is the prophet's meaning. For he shows that the church, so long as she is destitute of the blessing of God, withers and gradually falls into decay. 
But that when the spirit of God has been poured out, she is quickened and at length gathers strength, not only for recovering her former condition, but so as to grow by wonderful increase beyond expectation. See, I think it's a huge mistake for us to look at numbers and figures and statistics and say, if we do this, this and this, we re-strategize this, we re-strategize that, then we can make it grow. No, you can any more than you can make a plant grow out of the ground. You need the water, you need the rain, you need the spirit. We need the spirit. And in my life, I've been enormously privileged to see that happen. I went to a small congregation in near Fort William, Kilmally, tiny congregation, dying on its feet. You go there today, it's packed to the door. Packed, absolutely packed. People coming in from all different places. I mean, if I had taken a photograph of the congregation and building now and transported back 30 years and said to the folks, this is what it will be, they say, oh, don't be stupid. That's not going to happen. I think of St. Columbus in Edinburgh where I had a presbytery meeting where I had to argue that we didn't actually close it down because there was only about 20 people in it. And then the Royal Mile would say, look, it's a real possibility. We, really, we were talking about taking the church, free churches in Edinburgh and putting them all in one church. And then at the General Assembly, I'm standing up and reading out, there's seven free churches in Edinburgh, three of them church plants from St. Columbus because it's so full. I met another guy yesterday who was away planting a new church in Dalkeith and taking people from St. Columbus. And you're thinking, how did this happen? This is the Lord's doing and it's wondrous in our eyes. It's not brilliance of a particular minister or um, strategies or whatever. This is the Lord's doing and wondrous in our eyes. That's why... The key is to look in every situation and see, yes, it's dead. Not, yes, it's dry as can be. Yes, it's falling apart. Yes, it's probably going to collapse and die. Except for this. What if the Spirit is poured out? What if the Spirit is poured out? I believe that, by the way, for this congregation as well. God has blessed us in so many ways. You have no idea what it is like to look out and to remember preaching to a handful of people in a dull and dreary building. Dry and weary land, this was it, except we weren't dry because there's stuff coming in the roof. But, you know, it, it certainly wasn't spiritual blessing. But what has God done? You know, it's, it's extraordinary. You can't, how, I mean, if you're an older person here, and there aren't many, there's only two or three have been here as long as, as I have, but you cannot but look and be incredibly emotional about it because you think, wow, and who did this? God, that's it. There's no other reason. If you're in here and say, well, oh, you must be really good to be able to do that. Forget it. I'm rubbish. God is the one who pours out his spirit. And that's why baptizing Hamish is such a wonderful thing. Because we're saying he belongs to the covenant. He belongs to the community. He belongs to the family of God's people. And this is a symbol of God's spirit being poured out upon him. And we can say, Right from the beginning, as the mother holds the baby in her arms and says, Hush, little baby, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. God says to us, do not fear. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your graciousness and goodness. And thank you for your wonderful covenant. And thank you that you sent your prophet Isaiah to say to a rebellious people who were overwhelmed, not only by their sin, but by other people's, that you loved them, that you formed them, and that you would pour out their spirit, your spirit upon them. And we thank you that that is true for each one of us. Pour out your spirit upon those of us who do not believe that we may.
Pour out your spirit upon those who've turned cold. Lord, rekindle the fire in our hearts and in our souls. Pour out your spirit upon uh, the children here, and especially Hamish and the Mackay family. Grant, O Lord, your protection, and grant, O Lord, your life. In your name we ask it. Amen. We're going to sing um, a song, a baptismal hymn that was written by uh, Donald MacDonald. We praise God for his covenant. Uh, Maybe Stuart could uh, tell the kids they can come back in. Uh, And we'll stand and sing this, and then after this we'll have them baptized. We praise God for his covenant with Abraham long ago to give him many children so that the world may know. Um, that he would bless all nations through one from Abraham's line in token of these blessings God gave a covenant sign let's stand and sing to God's praise thank you for listening to this sermon from St Peter's Free Church in Dundee if you found this sermon has been helpful to you please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Dot .org Thanks for listening.